Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Ah, yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah, now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. An A&E original podcast. This episode contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Like, okay, he's got a gun. He's, he's obviously, he wants the money, and I hope he just get the money and, and, and go, but it wasn't, it wasn't like that. In March of 1997, Jose Ramirez Gonzalez was 29 years old and had just moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I came to Nashville, Tennessee to work with my brothers and cousins in construction. When I moved to Tennessee, I didn't, I didn't speak almost nothing, no English at all, <laughs> just a few words. While I was waiting for work in construction with my brothers and cousins, we used to go to a uh, a couple blocks away was at McDonald's. So we used to go to for breakfast Sunday morning or Saturday morning sometimes. And uh, it's one of those days I just, I was talking to the manager in that restaurant. And my language in Spanish, because I didn't speak any English in that day. And I asked him if he's got an application for work. And uh, he just said, yes, you wanna work with me? I can teach you how you work in here and uh, I can give you an application right now. I said, yeah, it's fine. Jose was put on the evening shift and had only been working there for three days. He was closing the restaurant with manager Ronald Santiago and his coworkers Robert Sewell and Andrea Brown. On the third day, Sunday night, we was working to, I think they closed at 11. So after 11, we stayed there for another hour probably. I was doing the dishes to leave everything ready for the next day. And uh, when we were done, we were, uh, I just heard the manager telling me in my language in Spanish to, uh, we're ready to go home. So I'm not gonna let you and Robert go to their cars and I'm gonna stay here at the door with Andrea to lock the doors. I say, oh, okay, okay. So I start walking to the outside. The manager and, and, and Andrea, they were at the door. Well, we start walking to the outside. Well, I was walking outside behind Robert. I see someone coming to us for the drive-through for the canopy, yes. It was a guy coming to us with a gun. He was wearing a hat, a baseball hat, and something like long hair, like a uh, curly hair, all the way down to here, like, uh, I'm sure he was wearing a, a wig. I just see the guy moving the gun, like telling us to go back to the store when I hear the manager saying that uh, uh, to come back in, in my language, so uh, we, Robert and I, we start walking back to the store. We came inside and uh, that's when the guy came in behind us with the gun. This is I Survived, the podcast where we talk to people who've lived through the worst things imaginable in all the tragic, messy, and wonderful things that happen after survival. I'm Caitlin Van Maul. So we start talking with the manager. I don't, 
I didn't get anything. I just followed the, the other guys going to the, uh, to the office with the uh, money was on the telephone. So we started walking there. We were inside of the room and the guy stays by the, by the door with the gun. Jose didn't understand what the man was saying. So he followed his co-worker's lead into the office. He was walking behind us with the gun and uh, we went to the room and uh, he says something to the manager and, and uh, he started like trying to open the, the safe to get the money out. He was scared, he was swearing like crazy. He was scared obviously. When he opens it, uh, he put all the money in, in a bag, coins and everything. And uh, after that, that's when uh, I just hear uh, Andrea crying. And that's when I start thinking about do something because obviously they were scared and I was scared too, but uh, I was thinking about what I can do, you know, like what to do. But I was also thinking about this guy is gonna get the money and, and leave. The man ushered them all out of the office and into the back room. We went to the back room when uh, it was dark. It was dark, the room was dark, but I was able to see, you know, like not clearly, but he told us to lay on the ground. I just saw them on the ground with the face down when the guy go to uh, to the manager and shoot him twice. And I just see the, uh, like the lighting of the shot a couple times. And uh, after that, he went to uh, Robert and, and Andrea after. And after that, he came to me, but I wasn't face down. I was looking at him. When he pointed me, he pointed my face with the gun in my front head. And he started like clicking it for, uh, I don't know, four or five times maybe. That was the, uh, the two seconds when I was thinking about like, okay, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be dead. I'm gonna, they're gonna send me to Mexico and with my parents, with my family. I went back to all my life, all what I did and all my life in one second, thinking about my family, my kids. The gun didn't go off. That's when I was trying to do something. I fell back and I started fighting with the guy and I felt something in my ribs and it was a, a knife or something. But I was, after that, I was unable to do anything. I just, I feel like loose. I didn't do nothing else, but I felt one more in the same side and the other two in the other side. By then he was holding me from my neck and uh, he started stabbing me in my in the back of my head. In the struggle, the man also cut Jose's finger so severely, it was barely still attached. But I didn't really pay attention to that. It wasn't too important to me because I was fighting and I, I, I knew it had more stuff than this. Actually, I was like, a finger is not important to me. It's more important to me my, my whole life. I didn't feel any pain, but I remember the last stab he gave me was on my face right here. And he threw me to the ground. He was behind me. He stabbed me three times in my back. I was thinking about like to like to play dead, to do something like uh, that way he cannot see me moving or something, you know, like. 
Jose tried to hold his breath so his attacker would think he was dead and finally leave the restaurant. I wasn't breathing and nothing, but uh, when I hold my breath, that's when I feel the air coming out from my <laughs> from my steps. And uh, it was like a little noisy because I used to stop for a little bit, like uh, breathing or something. When I open my eyes, but I feel him still there behind behind me. I see him. I was on the ground, and I just see the uh, the manager's face right next to me, and I was actually my face and, and uh, all his blood. I don't know for how long, but I just hear something like uh, a door, like uh, someone shut the door or something. And I was just afraid to move and see the guy was behind me still. But uh, I just turned my head and I didn't see I didn't see him anymore. I remember I stand up just for a couple seconds and I fell on the ground again. Jose knew he needed to get to the phone to call for help. He couldn't stand, so he crawled, slowly, to the office to call 911. I was looking for the phone and I didn't, I don't know what, why, but I didn't, I didn't see it. And I fell on the ground and I was feeling tired, like tired, like uh, ready to sleep or something, but I was, uh, I didn't, I just was trying to stay awake, you know? Now you see the wire, phone wire, and I just pull it, and it comes right next to me. It was the phone. So I just tell 911 once, and uh, someone answered it, but I didn't, I didn't say anything. I just hang up, and I tell 911 again. Remember, at this time, Jose didn't speak any English, so he didn't think he'd be able to communicate with the 911 operator. Before that, I hear probably people talking about if you dial 911, the police go to your house. <laughs> That's what I knew. If I dial 911, they they will know where I where where I'm calling from. Yeah, I just I was thinking about calling my 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 brother, and I did it. I call him, and I, uh, somebody somebody else answered the phone. I just tell him tell my brother to come to the uh, to the restaurant because someone rob the restaurant and hang up and uh, I was in the ground after after that and uh, I don't know for how long a few minutes probably and I was getting more tired like ready to to sleep ready, ready to close my eyes I used to start hearing noises around it I hear the ambulance I hear police people walking but I was just you know like uh, waiting for them to come into the store <laughs> to pick me up. And uh, I just hear when they break the glass door to get in, in, in the store. And I remember when they came to the rooms, but uh, they went to the other room with the with the other guys were dead. Jose had crawled out of the back room to the office to use the phone. And the first responders didn't see him at first. I was laying down with my face down in the ground and I I, um, I started moving my, my leg, that way they can see me I was alive. When someone came, I was moving my feet, he saw me. He just went to start talking to me and uh, most people came and they they, uh, they asked me for my name and I said, uh, Jose Antonio Ramirez. After that, they just put me in the ambulance with a lot of stuff in my, my hands, my nose and 
they just tell me uh, to not move, don't move because they put me to sleep in the ambulance. That was other time when I start thinking about all my life, all the past, a few seconds. I go back to all, all what I did in the past, all my family, my kids, everything. Because I knew after I, after I, I go to sleep, I'm gonna probably wake up or, or not wake up anymore. Who's planning to do some spring cleaning this year? Dust those hard-to-reach places? Clean out that closet. You know the one. Here's my advice. Clean your house and then protect every inch of it with Simply Safe Home Security. I recommend it to everyone. Fun fact about me. Home invasion is one of my biggest fears. But with my Simply Safe, I feel safe in my apartment, especially with my little panic button by my bed. In an emergency, Simply Safe's professional monitoring agents use Fast Protect technology to capture critical evidence and verify the threat is real so you can get priority police dispatch. I recently set up my Simply Safe and it was extremely easy. I live in an old Brooklyn apartment and I do not know what my walls are made of, but you cannot drill into them. So I was very excited to see that the sensors all come with adhesives to easily stick to the wall. The system is easy to use. You can turn it on and off with a keypad, or if you forget to set it and then suddenly realize when you're already on the subway, for example, you can turn it on from the Simply Safe app. Simply Safe is designed with cutting-edge security technology empowered by 24/7 professional monitoring. 24/7 professional monitoring service costs under a dollar a day, less than half the price of traditional home security systems. You can lock and unlock your doors, access your cameras, and arm and disarm your system from anywhere. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/survived. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com/survived. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage your audience, and sell anything: your products, content you create, and even your time. You can do so much with your Squarespace content, like connect your social media accounts. You can share both ways, display posts from your social profiles on your website, and or automatically push website content to your favorite social media accounts so your followers can share it too. Gotta love a reblog. Squarespace also has powerful analytics you can use to grow your business. Learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. I love seeing where people are viewing my website and seeing how many people are visiting. Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. Categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. Say, for example, you want to start a blog reviewing but really only saying very nice things about a certain true crime podcast. You can do that with Squarespace. Check out squarespace.com survive for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code survive to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain that's squarespace.com survive anyone who has ever been in a life or death situation can testify that a lot can happen in an instant you've listened to their stories here seconds count airmed care network is america's largest emergency air ambulance membership network their providers operate aircraft equipped with the latest life-saving and life support equipment and their specially trained medical teams provide the highest level of pre-hospital medical care in emergency situations medical rescue flights can mean surviving a medical emergency and having a better recovery yet they can be expensive but if you're an airmed care network member you will not be charged for your flight only when flown by one of their providers. So you pay nothing out of pocket, zero. 
which is why having a plan like an AirMed Care Network membership in place is so important. Even better, you can join AirMed Care Network for as little as $9.99 per month. It's surprisingly affordable and it covers your entire household. Add AirMed Care Network to your plans. They can help protect your family and your finances. Visit airmedcarenetwork.com and use offer code ISURVIVED when you join. That's ISURVIVED with no spaces. But Jose did wake up, two days later, in the hospital. I was, like, I was sleeping in, in a deep hole. I started, like, someone was calling my name, like, saying, Jose, Jose. But I, I, I was feeling like I was in the hole all the way down, like, far away. And uh, finally, when, when, when I hear one of those probably was the third or fourth time when when the person called my name that's when I I was trying to to say uh, yeah I'm here but I was unable to talk but but obviously I started moving or I did something because the person who was calling my name he said uh, Jose don't move my name is uh, Juan Borges I'm a detective of police in Nashville and uh, your brother is, is right here next to me As one of the few officers in the Nashville Police Department who spoke Spanish, Officer Juan Borges was Jose's primary contact with police. Jose was given police protection while he was in the hospital, and he ended up having four surgeries for his stab wounds. That's when the, when the uh, pain started, because I was unable to sleep probably for two or three weeks. I asked for some, something to sleep, and uh, I don't know why, but they gave me a medication to sleep, but because of pain, I was unable to sleep. Jose eventually was able to rest, and his nurse saw an opportunity while he was recovering. I never really, like, I was interested to learn English. I started when I was awake in the hospital because I was unable to tell the, the nurse for something. Like say I have I got pain I need a pill, she's the one who start talking to me in Spanish, and she's the one who start telling me how to say or what to say to her in case if I need something in English. So that's when I started, and I was like I don't know why, but after everything happened, I was I was learning a lot, and I gotta I remember I tell my brother give me something that way I can I can tell the the doctor or the or the nurse what I need. And he bring me a, a book from the store. The book, the name of the book, it was uh, English and Spanish. So all the sounds, they were in Spanish. So I start talking to the nurse, and I was able to ask for something. And I didn't know about uh, in the hospital. I was in the hospital. I didn't know about uh, I can order anything I want. I didn't know that until I start talking to the nurse, and I ask her, "Is there any way I can have an orange?" And she said, "Yeah, just put in the order. You can make an order." I say, "Oh, I didn't know that." And all, all my co-workers in McDonald's, after I came back to McDonald's, they all teach me how to say something. The manager in that store, she used to give me the headphones and put it in my, in my ears. Even if I was working in the kitchen, just to hear how people talk, how people ask for orders for food. And that's when I started, like, getting more and more and more. And, uh, and uh, I, was, I wasn't afraid to talk and more and more and more while I was working and... And I just, all, other thing I learned, it was every 
place you are is different worlds. But returning to work wasn't easy for Jose after witnessing such a horrific attack. After all this happens, because I had a part of my therapy with the uh, with my uh, psychologist and psychiatric, it was part of it. It was go to the store with the same store, the same room at nighttime, the same room with uh, everything happened right there. It was part of the therapy to to not be afraid to go to restaurants and. Uh, after when I start working again, I was working at McDonald's, probably other two years. Another, not in the same one, different one. But uh, it helps, helps me a lot. I wasn't afraid anymore, like, you know, to be in restaurants or something. This McDonald's was the latest in a string of fast food restaurant robberies in the Nashville area. On January 2nd, 1997, a Shoney's had been robbed and night manager Charles Thowett Jr. had been stabbed 52 times. The surveillance cameras had no tapes in them, and the killer left no fingerprints. On February 16th, Steve Hampton and Sarah Jackson were both murdered at a Captain D's restaurant just a few miles down the road from the McDonald's where Jose worked. There was a fingerprint at the Captain D's crime scene, but that wasn't much to go on. As the only survivor, Jose was the only one who had seen the killer. After I spoke with them about what happened that night, that's when they start showing me pictures, books of pictures about if I see him. I never see him in those pictures. I probably, uh, they probably show me uh, probably 500 pictures, 600. I never see him. And, uh, Juan, he was a person who came to the hospital with me to tell him how that guy looks like, you know, like to make a picture of him. And I explained him, but probably because the translation, it wasn't, I don't know, it was me or was the translation. The picture he did, it wasn't like close to him or something. A month after the murders at McDonald's, on April 23, 1997, Michelle Mace and Angela Holmes were kidnapped from a Baskin-Robbins in the same area. Their bodies were found the next day at Dunbar Cave State National Park. A red car was reportedly spotted the night of the 23rd at the park's visitor center. While I was in the hospital with the detectives, we, we watched the news that day. And, 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 and the news say about, uh, uh, there were two girls dead and the police found them a day or two days later. And uh, I was like a feeling that it was the same person who did all three, uh, Captain D's, McDonald's, and Baskin Robin. Clearly, fast food workers in Nashville had great cause to be scared about the killer targeting their workplaces. But Shoney's manager, Mitch Roberts, wasn't concerned. I was aware that recently there had been attacks at other fast food restaurants. And so it was getting a lot of pressure on the police and at the time in the area uh, to find this killer. And a lot of people talked about it. Uh, I had some of my customers would relate to me and ask me questions when they came in the restaurant about if we had heard anything or uh, how the investigation was going as far as we knew. A lot of policemen came in my restaurant and ate with me um, from time to time. So we kind of kept current 
on what was going on. We were such a high traffic area, and um, it was, like I said, police came by and ate with us all the time, uh, day and night. So it, would, it, it never occurred to me that we possibly could be a target. Mitch lived in a rural area outside the city. He lived on six acres of land, and his house was set far back from the road. It was quiet 95% of the time. Um, if you didn't know where I live, you wouldn't be able to find my house because we lived on the edge of a mailing address. We lived on the edge of a phone service. So you wouldn't have any idea where my house was based on that information. But on June 1st, 1997, Mitch received an unexpected visitor. I was waiting to go to bed. It was a Sunday night, about eight or nine o'clock. And I had to get up early the next morning. I, I had to be at uh, the restaurant at four o'clock. We, uh, my kitchen manager and I did uh, inventory every Monday morning early before the restaurant opened. And so I had to be there very early. So I was on the couch with my wife and my daughter and my son. We were watching a little TV and my son was playing with our video camera. And all of a sudden out of the blue, there was a knock on the door. And when my son turned around with the camera, there was Paul standing in the doorway waving at him. Paul Dennis Reed worked for Mitch at Shoney's, but recently had been fired. Mitch had no idea why Paul was at his house. Paul Reed was a loner type person. He didn't make friends easily at all. He kind of stuck to himself. And what was a little odd about him to me, and this plays into his scenario of tricking people and being something that he wasn't, when he spoke to you, when I said anything to him, it was always, yes, sir, no, sir, very respectful. Until he got mad the day at Shoney's and frisbeed a plate and it hit one of my dishwashers and um, I sent him home. I fired him on the spot and sent him home. That was probably a few weeks to a month before he showed up that night at my house, knocking on the door. And I said, Paul, what's the purpose of your call? And he said, um, well, I wanted to see if you'd give me my job back. And about that time, my wife interrupted me and said, could I speak to you just a second in the other room? And so I said, Paul, hang on. And I walked in the other room, my wife, and she said, something's weird, something's wrong. You need to get rid of him. I said, okay. So I went back out in the living area and was talking to him. I said, Paul, it's kind of late and I've got to go to bed to get up early in the morning. Why don't you come by tomorrow or call me and we'll talk about your job then. I'll see what I can do. So I kind of led him towards the door and he walked out. And when we got out on the porch, uh, that's when he told me that he could prove to me someone was stealing from the restaurant. He was trying to keep my attention. And uh, I said, okay. So we started walking down to the car. I remembered that the police were looking in these serial killings. They were looking for a red sports car. That's what was sitting in my driveway. So I started adding two and two and it came up four. And I just, I knew then that it was bad. I knew that this was the person they were looking for in the fast food murders. He handed me a steak from Shoney's. We had special packaging and handed me a steak and showed me, said, someone's been stealing food from you. I said, well, you need to give me a call tomorrow 
and we'll go through this and I'll see about your job. So I turned and walked, started to walk away. And he ran around in front of me and pulled a gun and said, uh, told me, said, you're gonna do what I tell you to do. And he handed me a pair of handcuffs. And I said, Paul, if this is a joke, it's not funny. And he said, it's not a joke. There's two guys behind your house that'll shoot you if you don't do what I tell you. And I said, well, tell them take their best shot because I'm going in the house. And I turned and walked away from him again. And he just followed me up to the porch. And I thought, you know, I need to look and see what he's doing before I try to get back in my house because my family was in there. And so when I turned around, he had pulled a knife and he had a gun in one hand and a knife in the other. And I said, Paul, who do you think you're talking to and dealing with? I gave you your job, I helped you. Well, what is it you need? He said, well, if you're not gonna give me my job back, I need some money. I'm going back to Texas. And I said, well, I'll give you some money and you can send it back to me after you get there and get your job. I just started talking. I don't think it was because I was so brave. I think it was because I was nervous and that's what I knew to do. And so I started talking to him. And like I said, I've had a lot of time to think about this. Most of his victims were crying and pleading and begging for their life. I started talking to him like I was still his boss. And that kind of threw him off a little bit. And um, as, as it progressed, I thought one step at a time of what I was gonna do to try to get away from him and keep him from getting in the house to my family. I knew if he got back in the house, he would kill them there, take me to the store and make me open the safe, rob it, and he would kill me there at the store. So there again, that whether it was brave or foolish, I don't know. And that's when I decided to pull the door open and turn on him and hit him and knock him backwards. I was gonna fight him on the porch. I, I was not gonna let him in the house with my family. I told my wife, hand me the gun, it's laying right there. Well, there wasn't a gun laying right there, but he bought it and left. Um, we got the door locked, called the local police, and the, they came out and was uh, talking to me and interviewing me, and the phone rang. It was Paul on the phone. Yes, I was shocked. I didn't expect to hear from him again. So he started talking like, well, I'm sorry we had words on your front porch there. I didn't, I didn't mean for us to get cross with each other. And I said, Paul, you scared the hell out of my wife and me. We need to talk about this tonight. You need to come back to the house. And I talked him into coming back to the house. But when he came back, there was five or six different deputies waiting for him. And that's how they captured him. How many of you wish there was a better solution to paying off your debt? PDS Debt has customized 0% interest options for anyone struggling with credit cards, personal loans, collections, or medical bills. With rising interest rates and the cost of living at an all-time high, now is the time to finally take initiative with your debt. Stop waiting and start saving with your own custom debt savings options from PDS Debt. PDS Debt is giving our qualified listeners a free debt savings analysis just for completing the 30-second online debt assessment at pdsdebt.com survived. You'll receive a full breakdown on how to save on interest each month and the quickest way to take care of your debt. If you're making payments every month on your debt and your balances aren't going down, this program is for you. PDS Debt rolls all your payments into one low 0% interest monthly payment. Everyone with over $10,000 or more in debt qualifies, and there's no minimum credit score required. Bad and fair credit accepted. Save thousands in interest and fees. Pay off your debt in a fraction of the time. 
PDS Debt is offering free debt analysis to our listeners just for completing the quick and easy debt assessment at www.pdsdebt.com slash survived. That's pdsdebt.com slash survived. Take back your financial freedom today by visiting pdsdebt.com slash survived. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When you are at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I think therapy is great. I've been in therapy for a long time and I think everyone can benefit from looking inwards with a little help. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com survived today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot survived. Paul Dennis Reed was arrested for threatening Mitch with the gun, but police didn't immediately connect him to the fast food murders. And I had to go over to the jail to sign some paperwork to arrest him. And I told them then, I said, this is the serial killer they're looking for in Nashville. And at first they didn't believe me. And I looked around and there was a bulletin board with wanted posters on it. And I had to move some of them to get to his because it had been several months and they'd put new ones up. And I said, that's him. And I pointed to the picture. And they said, you really think so? I said, I know it is. So I called Pat Pastiglione, the detective in Nashville. And I said, Pat, you need to get to Cheatham County. They've got Paul Reed, your serial killer, in a cell. And he said, what is he charged with? And at the time I said, I think assault. He tried to get in my house and tried to assault me. And he said, go charge him with everything you can so they'll hold him longer till I can get there. And so uh, I forgot exactly, but it was two or three charges that I'd filed against him to where he couldn't just make bond and get out. I had a friend that was in the bonding business and I called him and said, "Uh, I don't have time to talk or explain right now. If Paul Reed calls you and wants a bond, do not, do not give him a bond. Call the other bond agents in Cheatham County and tell them not to do the same. There was only two or three bond agents in Cheatham County, so he could quickly do that. Uh, Paul called and tried to get a bond. Luckily, I thought of that. If I hadn't thought of that, he would have got a bond and got out. After Mitch thought about it more, it became clear how calculated the attacks were. He had learned from working at fast foods that you didn't go to the bank on Sundays. Most people didn't and make deposits, um, so you had money there. So that was the opportune time to get the most bang for your buck, so to speak, is go on the weekend when the most money is still there in the safe. Sunday nights is usually a slow night and you get out earlier, you can go home earlier. So there's not a lot of people around, there's not a lot of customers or people or anything. And he would always go when the store had closed, but he had been casing out that Baskin Robbins location in Clarksville for a long time. 
they found out and reported later on some of the news articles that he had been seen in the area at several different places and he'd asked people about that. He, he was a planner. He, he didn't do anything quickly or spontaneously as much as he thought about it and planned it, premeditated, if you will, to the point of, of thinking through what time he was going and where he was going and why. Mitch also remembered a disturbing fact from before the murder started. Shoney's manager, Charles Thoet, the first victim, had called Mitch about hiring some of his workers. Charles worked at the one on Dickerson Road in Nashville. He was the night manager. Unfortunately, he called me one day and asked me if I had any people that I could loan him or maybe I wasn't working them full time and then they wanted more hours. And I sent Paul to him and he hired him. I always really felt bad about that. But I mean, that's, nobody knew, nobody had an idea at the time that I did that, that it was anything like that. And like I said, he was always respectful to me. Yes, sir, and no, sir. And was to Charlie as far. I, I had talked to Charlie several times after that. And Charlie said he was a real good worker and he appreciated me sending him to him and all that. Little did he know he would come back one night and Charlie would just open the door and let him in. And uh, he killed him, made him open the safe and robbed him and killed him there. Now that they had a suspect in custody, Jose was called in to identify his attacker. In June 1997, they called me to go see more photos at the uh, police station. They told me that uh, they got a few pictures that way I can look at him and see if he's, if he's someone I can recognize or something. Yeah, they bring six pictures. They put those pictures on the table and they, and they just left me alone with the pictures for, I don't know, probably 10 minutes. For the first two, three minutes, I just watched the pictures, you know, carefully, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see anything, something I can recognize. I watched the pictures, you know, carefully, but I didn't, I didn't see anything, something I can recognize. But uh, after that, I just pay attention to one picture in the middle. It was three in the top, three in the bottom. The three in the bottom, the one in the middle, it was the one I was looking at it. And uh, I just got, I don't know, scared for a moment, excited, or I don't know. I never feel those, I never, like, uh, weird feelings, you know, like, uh, I just, I just see him right there. And uh, I just open the door and I say, Juan, yeah, this is the guy right here. So you sure? I said, yes. Are you positive? I said, yeah. Can you sign the, uh, is something you gotta sign when you agree that's, that's him, but is you positive? I said, yeah, 100% he is. A few days after his arrest for attacking Mitch, Paul Dennis Reed was charged in the murders at the Captain D's and McDonald's. He would go on to also be charged for murdering the workers at Baskin Robbins. The three attacks were tried separately. Jose testified in the trial for the McDonald's murders. It was hard, first time with the cameras in front of me, <laughs> but uh, I was afraid to see him right there in front of me. It was uh, scared to me to walk behind him that day when I went to the room, when they asked me to go in. When I walk, I see him right next to uh, the first seat right there but I walked behind him. It was, I don't know why, but it was a scare to see him in his face and uh, 
Yeah, after five, six minutes later, I wasn't afraid too much, but uh, he was there next to me. Mitch also testified, but couldn't bring himself to look at Reed. To be honest, I tried not to, not because I was afraid. I didn't want him to be able to see me or any expression on my face. So I purposely looked away, like, I don't care about you. You're not worth looking at. I, he was getting enough notoriety from the press and everything else, and I think, I think he kind of liked that a little too, as well. He, at one point, wanted to be a country music singer. And to be honest, he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. But uh, he, had, uh, he had dreams. I won't say delusions of grandeur, but as far as being a country music singer, that was delusions of grandeur. Paul Dennis Reed was found guilty in all three trials and was given seven death sentences. Relief. <laughs> Feel relief. Not exactly for me. I was more relieved for the families. They were in the courtroom a few times, and I saw them how they, how they were, you know. Like, it was sad to see them crying sometimes in the courtroom, and, uh, and I saw them happy when they say his, he was guilty and everything. That was when I feel relief, more for them. And the detectives, they asked me if I want to go that day when they, when they kill him, but I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to go. I don't want to go see him die, no. I think Paul's motive in most of these situations was he wanted, he, he just wanted money easily. He didn't want to uh, take months and months to work for it and try to save any, but um, that was surreal that someone that worked for me could do that. But I, I've likened it, if you've ever watched a special on TV of a great white shark swimming by a cameraman, and then you look in their eyes, there's not a spark of life at all. It's dark black. That's the way Paul's eyes were. I don't think he had a soul or a conscience. He was just evil. He was mean to the core. And that still, at times, kind of gives me pause to think about how, how so lucky we are to be here. Because if he had had his way, we wouldn't be like all the others that he murdered. Paul Dennis Reed died on November 1st, 2013, but not by execution. He died several years later uh, in a uh, prison hospital from pneumonia, of all things. That was way too easy a death for him compared to what he put these other victims through and the suffering that they went through. Today, Jose lives outside Boston in New Hampshire with his wife and daughter. In construction in Boston, the most of the time, downtown Boston, union worker. Being a survivor is uh, big to me. I feel like March 23rd, 1997, I, I survived and I'm I'm an other person, I'm a new person now. <laughs> I was born that day, like, I feel like that. <laughs> Mitch is semi-retired and moved to San Antonio to be closer to his son. He's lived here in San Antonio for about six years, and um, he and his wife, luckily, both have good jobs, and they like them. They, they just built a new house. My wife and I decided they're not coming home anytime soon, so we're, if they won't come to us, we'll come to him. To me, to be a survivor of a serial killer, I, I can't hardly describe it. I feel so grateful and so lucky and so humble over it. The good Lord was just looking 
out for me. That's all I can say. I mean, how else do you get away from someone like that that's killed eight or 10 or 12 people? Most people aren't that lucky. They, they, very few survive. And most of the time it's by luck. I sometimes wonder why me? Why was I that lucky? But I'm grateful that I was. And I'm grateful for my family that we all survived. I Survived is hosted and produced by Caitlin Van Maul and Law and Crime Network. Audio editing by Brad Maybe. For A&E, our senior producer is John Thrasher and our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz, Sean Gottlieb, and Shelley Tatro. This podcast is based on A&E's Emmy-winning TV series, I Survived. For more I Survived, visit aetv.com. Copyright 2023, a Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved. All month long on Pluto TV, stream the biggest Tyler Perry movies free. Watch your favorites like Medea's Witness Protection and Medea's Big Happy Family. Join Tyler Perry as he goes on a couple's retreat with Sharon Leal in Why Did I Get Married? Or Idris Elba and Gabrielle Union in the Tyler Perry directed film Daddy's Little Girls. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies and TV shows available on live and on demand. Download the free Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free.